Lay your love on the track We're gonna break the monster's back Jesus, we, we clap and we ask that question, um, where is the love? Would you help us, Lord God, to understand your word and to preach your word? In the name of your word, Jesus the Christ, we say these things, amen. Well, uh, last time, 
you know that we uh, ended up preaching about the fact that the kingdom of God is a party. Remember that? And, uh, well, uh, today's Father's Day, and it's like the first day of the summer, and I'm kind of I'm tired. I could use a break from preaching, and I've been blessed with this, uh, with this brand new beach ball. So I thought, hey, why don't we just bat this thing around and have a party? Is that okay? Could you do that? All right, so here's the idea. I bat it out there. You guys bat it around. Now, some, there's space right in here, so you're going to have to run to other places and stuff in order to keep. And the idea is keep the ball going, okay? So I'm going to bat this thing out there, and we're going to get the party started, right? Okay, so are you ready? Are you going to play? Okay, if it goes down, you pick it up, and you bat it around to somebody else. Ready? Let's get that party started. There you go. And I'm coming out, so you better get this party started. Duncan, Duncan. I won. Duncan, the, I won. <laughs> Duncan, the idea is that the blessing is in the game. The blessing isn't, isn't, the, isn't the ball. The blessing is, is the game. It's passing it around. But I won. Are you going to pass the ball? Okay, here, you can hold it. Go ahead. You just, you just keep it. Well, I guess that's the end of the fun. And I'll just, I'll just have to preach. All right, Genesis chapter 11, uh, verse 30. Last time, you know, we talked about the fact that there are, uh, you just say right there, Duncan, you hold it. We talked about the fact that there are these two lines of Eber, who is the great-great-grandson of Noah, and Eber means divided, these two different lines in chapter 11. The line of Joktan concludes with the story of men who try to make a name for themselves by building a city and a tower that uh, was called Babel. The line of Peleg, which means divided, concludes with the story of a fellow named Abram who didn't make a name for himself but received a name for himself from God. Abram married a woman named Sarai. Then in verse 30, we read this. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. It's pretty much impossible to overemphasize how important this is because we've been following the line of the promised seed ever since Genesis chapter 3. And if Abraham or Abram here has no sons, Whatever name he does get will be really hard to pass on, which, by the way, is how we normally get our names, right? We don't make a name for ourselves unless we're Prince or Madonna. We don't make a name for ourselves. We inherit a name from our father, which can be a problem. Abram's father, Terah, worshipped idols, and it appears Abram did too, So fathers in this world don't always leave us a good name. Verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians 
to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. That verse, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, is the Roswell, New Mexico of all global theology. There is so much weirdness around that verse. But not only weirdness, incredible violence. The children of Adam are so desperate to receive a blessing and a name that most people on this planet came to be a part or claimed to be a part of Abraham's nation. And they fight about it. The Holocaust, 9-11, most all the wars in the Middle East and through out the world can be traced back to interpretations of Genesis chapter 2, verse 12. The three great monotheistic religions all trace their ancestry to Abram and divide over who exactly is the great nation. Most Jews claim that the nation is Israel and that the true children of Abraham are the descendants of Isaac through Sarai. Most Muslims claim that this nation is the nation of Islam and that the true children of Abraham are the descendants of Ishmael through Hagar. And most Christians claim that this nation is the true church, the holy nation. And Scripture says it is those of faith who are the sons of Abram. And just before he was crucified, Jesus walked into Jerusalem, prophesied its destruction, then said to the religious leaders who would soon crucify him, and we know why, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation, an ethnos, bearing the fruit of it, the fruit thereof. Well, Christians have understood that nation to be made of all races, having been grafted in to the ancient root, not replacing Israel, but joining Israel, the Israel of God, true Israel. Well, four and a half years ago, I preached a couple of sermons on those verses. You may remember because they landed like a bomb, just a bomb. One man of Hebrew descent from a nearby church got so angry, he wrote the Anti-Defamation League. All these pastors in Denver and throughout the country are complaining about me. He told me that I had the blood of the Jews on my head. I don't think I've ever encountered such anger in all my life. I, I thought I might die. He was furious, furious that I claimed the blessings of Abraham for myself. I think he thought that by claiming those blessings for myself, I was necessarily taking them away from somebody else. Like there was only so much blessing to go around. And he had a historical reason to think that way. A thousand years ago, the Pope sent crusaders to old Israel to reclaim it from the Muslims. 
In the process, they slaughtered thousands of Muslims, Jews, and Arab Christians. The Pope forgot that a real crusader conquers by being crucified rather than crucifying. He forgot that his father's mercies, his blessings, never come to an end. I think we all do. A few years ago, many of us went to Israel and Jerusalem. It was incredible. But never in my life have I been to a place with such an extensive history of violence. This is the wall dividing the land, the, the city of peace, peace be with you, the city of peace, Jerusalem. This is the Israeli side. This is the Palestinian side, all at the Bethlehem crossing. A flood of violence and dividing walls of hostility. And no wonder. I mean, what was God thinking? Really, I mean, what was he thinking? Giving such outrageous blessing to just one kid. I mean, every father knows that the biggest fights happen when you give the greatest blessings and yet uneven blessings, right? I mean, the biggest fights always happen, it seems, on on Christmas morning. You give the very best gifts so they fit the uniqueness of each child, and yet each gift makes every child nervous. Why? Because they wonder, who does he love the most? Who does he bless the most? Well, at least you try to make it equal, right, dads? God seems to just choose one. I mean, what was he thinking? Why? Genesis 12, verse 2. And I will make of you, Abram, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that, so that, get ready, this is why. So that you will be a blessing. So you will be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. A blessing to whom? I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And as you know, in the Old Testament, a whole bunch of nations that dishonored the nation of Israel were cursed and destroyed. But what if, what if Israel dishonors Israel? You know, if you say the Hebrew, the prophets say that very thing. So if Israel dishonors Israel, will God destroy Israel? Listen to God in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 7. I have destroyed my people. That's crazy. Blessed to be a blessing to whom we wonder. Then verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. That would include Israel, right? All the families of the earth. Let me read it again. All the families of the earth. Wow! So just because a family in a nation is cursed and destroyed, that doesn't mean that they're not still going to be blessed. Israel gets destroyed, but they're still 
Blessed forever. Ezekiel 37, the dry bones will live, says the prophet, and inherit the land. They're blessed, blessed, that all the families of the earth would be likewise blessed. Abram, you are blessed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Abram, I choose you to help me pass out the gifts on Christmas morning. I choose you. Abram, you're blessed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. You know, if Jews really believed that, they'd be all about blessing Muslims and Christians. And you know, if Muslims really believed that, Oh, well, they'd be all about blessing Christians and Jews. And if Christians really believed that, oh, yeah, they'd be all about blessing Jews and Muslims. And yeah, you go around blessing terrorists, and that can be dangerous. You can get yourself crucified. You don't believe me? Just ask Jesus. Well, anyway. Why was Abram blessed? If we know why he was chosen to be blessed, then we might know how to get chosen and who exactly we had to choose to bless. Well, Genesis doesn't say why Abram was blessed. So a thousand years later, did some research. Jewish rabbis started writing stories about Abram's youth before he was chosen. And in these stories, Abram has great wisdom, righteousness, and sanctity. As a, as a young man, he reasoned that if the sun goes down, surely it wasn't worthy of his worship. And if the moon goes down, surely it wasn't worthy of his worship. And if his father's idols couldn't even eat the sacrifice, then surely they were not God and worthy of his worship, so he set them all on fire. And that's why God chose him. In other words, he figures it out and so makes a good choice and therefore is chosen to be blessed. In the Quran, it's interesting, Muhammad includes uh, several of these stories and then adds a few of his own. So it seems Abram is chosen because he's worthy to be chosen. You know, that's what many Jews and Muslims and even Christians believe, and, and yet that's definitely not what Scripture says. You read this when you go home, but in the next five verses, Abram goes to Canaan, and there God says, to your seed I will give this land. Then in verse 10, there's a famine in Canaan, so Abram goes down into Egypt in order to save himself. Out of fear, not faith, Abram tells Pharaoh that his beautiful bride, Sarai, is actually his sister. So Pharaoh takes her into his house and plagues befall the Egyptians. Now that should kind of sound familiar, except Pharaoh is honorable and sends Sarai back to dishonorable Abram. Get the picture? Abram pimps his bride to save his tail. You know, I feel sorry for Sunday school teachers. 
right? I mean, who are always trying to present these patriarchal guys as like heroes that we should emulate. I mean, you can just see them, you know, with the flannel graph. Okay, kids, um, look up here at the, at the flannel graph. See, see Noah? See, see Noah? See Noah plant a vineyard? See Noah get drunk and and see Noah get naked, and see Noah pass out, little flannel graph, Noah pass out in his tent, and ooh, see Cain, he comes in, and Noah curses him and his descendants. <sighs> see Abraham, Father Abraham? See Sarai? She's hot. <laughs> little flannel graph bikini. See Pharaoh? Pharaoh is lusting after Sarai. So Father Abram, he lies to Pharaoh so Pharaoh can have sex with his wife and he won't get in trouble. <laughs> Let's sing. Father Abraham, he pimped his wife. Pimped his wife, that's Father Abraham. Because she was so hot and he was so scared. All he did was go like this. Yo, dog. Check out my sister. (laughs) I don't mean to dishonor Abraham. Because you see, we're all like Abraham. I mean, pastors, pastor even dishonor the bride of Christ. Uh, Pimper, you could say. But that's another topic. Anyway. What's a Sunday school teacher supposed to say? I mean, what really is she supposed to say with people like the patriarchs, people like Noah, people like Abraham? If you read your Bible, you realize no one is good. No one's a hero. No one's righteous. To get to this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Scripture calls him the seed. So God chose Abram when Abram was a Babylonian pagan with a barren wife. Then even after God speaks his word, Abraham's faith is only like the size, you know, of a seed. Like a mustard seed. You know, I think God likes to speak his word into the void. God speaks seed into the empty womb of our faithlessness, disobedience, and shame. And you know, that's what it means to be chosen. It means grace. Romans 9-11, the patriarchs were chosen when they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order, in order, this is why, that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call, not because of works. The point of election is that the elect in no way deserve to be elected, verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The point is God's mercy. I think we Christians sometimes act like the point of being chosen is that others aren't chosen and we deserve to be chosen. Are you proud to be chosen? 
You should be pleased that you're chosen. But if you're proud that you're chosen, maybe you're not chosen because you don't get it. 1 Corinthians 1.27, consider your calling, brothers. God chose what is foolish in the world. That's you. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. Get it? You have been graced to be graceful. Not arrogant. God didn't say, I challenge you that you might be a challenge to all the nations of the earth. I threaten you that you might be a threat to all the nations of the earth. I fix you that you might fix all the nations of the earth. No. I bless you so that you would be a blessing. Like a blessing incarnate. I elect you that you would be an agent of my election. I bless you and I have not blessed them so that I might bless them through you, Abram. For in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow. That's incredible. Don't know if anybody read it, but it's incredible. Blessed. So what's the blessing? Well, number one, clearly it involves some land in the Middle East. Yet God tells us he'll make a new heaven and a new land, and Jesus says the meek shall inherit the land. Inherit, that's why they're blessed, the meek. The blessing is a land, and a city, but it's not a city we build, it's a city that God builds with us. By its light, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. Big, big city. It's a land, a city, and a name, but we don't make the name for ourselves. Our Father gives us his name, like, like a birthright. He gave Abram a name, Abraham. God has a unique name for you. Did you know that? That no one else knows. He has a unique name for you and the family name. Land, city, name, and seed. Although Sarah's womb is barren, Abram will be blessed with seed. Jesus taught that God's word is seed. And John wrote that Jesus is God's word. And in Galatians 3, Paul tells us that the gospel, God's good word, was preached to Abraham. Isn't that wild? Then in Galatians 3, verse 16, we read this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Then in verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God gives Abraham biological seed 
and eternal seed. Jesus. I mean, it's like Abraham was formless and void, and God spoke his word into Abraham, his seed, his blessing. God spoke Christ into Abraham's heart. Galatians 4, 6. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. That's faith. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, wrote Paul. So listen, all of you fatherless on Father's Day. When you have faith, when you cry, Abba, Father, it's not just you. It's the eternal and imperishable seed. It's the spirit of Jesus, the firstborn son resident inside of you. He's giving you his faith in his father as your own father. He is your wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You are the body of Christ animated by the faith of Christ. The blessing is land, city, name, gospel seed, Jesus, and the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus showing up in an entirely barren place like Abram or you. You see, faith is a gift. Faith in what? Faith in God, our Father. And who is God? Well, God is love. And related to us, that love is grace. God is grace. In short, God is blessing. So the blessing is God. The blessing is love. The blessing is blessing. See, I think that's the great joke on this entire upside-down world. The entire world assumes that it is more blessed to receive than to give. And Jesus says, truly, it's more blessed to give than receive. That means it's more blessed to bless than to be blessed. Or you're more blessed, most blessed, when you're blessing. In other words, to bless is the blessing. The blessing, noun, is blessing. Verb. You know, blessing is a noun and a verb. Like love is a noun and a verb. And so God likewise is a noun and a verb. God is a trinity. Three persons constantly loving, constantly giving, constantly blessing, like a great dance, an ecstatic party, a never-ending drama or game called love and life. C.S. Lewis wrote this, the golden apple of selfhood thrown among the false God became an apple of discord when they scrambled for it. Hear that, Duncan? <laughs> they did not know the first rule of the holy game, which is that every player must by all means touch the ball and then immediately pass it on. 
To be found with it in your hands is a fault. To cling to it, death. But when it flies to and fro among the players, too swift for the eye to follow, and the great master himself leads the revelry, giving himself eternally to his creatures in the generation and back to himself in the sacrifice of the word, then indeed the eternal dance makes heaven drowsy with harmony. All pains and pleasures we have known on earth are early initiations in the movements of that dance, but the dance itself is strictly incomparable with the sufferings of this present time. As we draw nearer to its uncreated rhythm, pain and pleasure sink almost out of sight. There is joy in the dance, but it does not exist for the sake of joy. It does not even exist for the sake of good. Or of love. It is love. Himself. And good. Himself. And therefore. Happy. The biblical word for that. Is blessed. See the ball. Isn't the blessing. The game is the blessing. The ball is just equipment for playing the game. Your money, it's not the blessing. Your house, not the blessing. Your land, not the blessing. Those things are all just equipment for playing the game. Hang on to them, game is over. And they turn into a curse, not a blessing. Even yourself, your, your very body and blood is equipment for playing the game. The blessing is blessing. There's an ancient story that I love. A certain man had two sons. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich son had no children, while the poor son was blessed with many sons and many daughters. In time, the father fell ill. He called his sons to himself on a Saturday, and he divided their inheritance between them. He divided the land in half, and then he died. That night, the rich son could not sleep. He said to himself, the blessing my father gave is unjust. I'm rich. My brother is poor. I have bread enough and to spare. While my brother's children eat one day and trust God for the next, I, I, I must move the landmark, which our father has set in the middle of the land so that my brother will have the greater share. Oh, but he can't see me. If he sees me, he'll be shamed. I must rise early in the morning before it is dawn and move the the landmark. With this, he fell asleep, and his sleep was secure and peaceful. Meanwhile, the poor brother could not sleep. As he lay restless on his bed, he said to himself, My father's blessing is unjust. Here I am surrounded by the joy of many sons and many daughters while my brother's My brother daily faces the shame of having no sons to carry on his name and no daughters to comfort him in his old age. He he should have the land of our fathers. Perhaps this will in part compensate him for his indescribable poverty. 
Oh, but if I give it to him, he'll be shamed. I must awake early in the morning before it is dawn and move the landmark which our father has set. And with this, he went to sleep, and his sleep was secure and peaceful. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, a long time before it was day, the two brothers met at the ancient landmark, and they fell with tears into each other's arms. And that, that was the Father's blessing. And the legend goes that on that site, they built the city of Jerusalem. With us, God is building his sanctuary, the new Jerusalem. We've been blessed to be a blessing, blessing incarnate. We've each been blessed with money and talents. If, if you hang on to them, they turn into curses. But if you bless with them, well, that is the blessing. We've, we've been blessed with stuff and even more with each other, with, I mean, incredible stories of blessing, stories of grace. That's what the city's built of. And now even more, we've been blessed with opportunities to bless, which is itself the very greatest blessing. In a couple of months, I expect that we'll be moving over to the Asbury building. But if we go asking, how will I be blessed? Very soon, it will start to feel like a curse. But if we go asking, how can I bless? How can I? How can we go blessing, blessing itself? Well, if we go with that attitude, I think we can't help but be blessed, for it's more blessed to give than to receive. Most blessed to bless. So Abraham is blessed to be blessing. And Abraham becomes blessing, like blessing incarnate. And so, of course, God says, whoever blesses blessing is blessed. And whoever rejects blessing is cursed. Jesus said it, I tell you, many will come from east and west. We're talking Gentiles here. Many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they bless blessing. They bless grace. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. Why? Because they curse Blessing. They belittle grace. They think they deserve the blessing, which then is no longer blessing. They think they've chosen to be chosen, which is then not being chosen. How could they be blessed if they despise blessing itself? Well, this is how you know if you're really blessed and if you bless blessing. If you rejoice at other people's blessings, <laughs> or are you jealous? If you rejoice at 
other people's blessings, especially if they're unearned. And especially if those blessings were once yours. If someone cheats you of what's rightfully yours, takes your birthright, takes your name, takes your life's work as their own, and yet they can't really take it because you gave it with joy, well then, well then, you are most blessed. For it's more blessed to give than receive. More blessed, more blessed. But, but in this world, also more painful. You see, in heaven, everyone gives. Everyone passes the ball, so it's a great dance, a wild party, ecstatic love and life. And yet, in this world, no one passed the ball. No one gave. No one loved. No one was righteous until God gave the seed. And he gave the seed to get the party started. The story I told you about the two brothers, it's just a myth. But this is not a myth. There were two brothers, a firstborn and another. To the firstborn belonged the birthright and the father's blessing. The firstborn did everything in the name of the father, and so his life's work was righteousness, and the younger boy was jealous, filled with fear and shame. On Christmas morning, they met at the ancient stone marker, the edge of the firstborn's kingdom and the little brother's land. It was an ark of a covenant in a sanctuary on a rock. It was a wooden manger placed on stone. It was a tree planted on Mount Zion. The older brother came to move the marker, the mountain and the tree. The older brother came to move the marker. He came to give, and the younger brother came to take. And so he tried to cheat the birthright, seize the name, steal the blessing, but he could not steal the blessing for the father and the firstborn son had planned to give the blessing from the foundation of the world, and that is the greatest blessing. And so as we nailed our older brother Jesus to the tree of knowledge on top of the ancient stone marker we call Mount Zion, the firstborn cried out, Father, forgive them! and gave up his spirit. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant, the eternal covenant in my blood. Take. Drink, I give it, I forgive it to you. You see, this 
is how he gets the party started. This is where the new Jerusalem comes down. As Jesus says to you, behold, my father is your father. The way the father feels about me is exactly the way that he feels about you. Jesus is the father's blessing. So if you bless him, you're blessed. If you reject him, you are already condemned in outer darkness, weeping and gnashing your teeth. But sons of the kingdom, it's time to come home. Look, he's moved the ancient marker, little brother. All the way from Mount Zion to you tonight. And so he calls you to meet him. You give him your nothing, and he gives you his everything. He is the love of God poured out. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> we doubted that you were good, and you have proven us wrong. So now, by the power of your Spirit, Lord Jesus, help everyone in this room to lay down their old fears, their old shame, their old insecurities, their nothingness, their sin, and receive the grace that is you, the lifeblood of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come worship. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cups. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. Tonight, you approach the ancient stone marker because you heard that there was a gift there that the greatest blessing was there. But as you approach it, you're scared, you're intimidated because uh, from this land, blessing looks like a whole lot of pain. Body broken, blood shed, sacrifice. But when you cross over to the other side of the stone marker and enter the kingdom... The same table from the other side looks like this. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea praising the lamb on the throne. It looks like the greatest party because in that kingdom, not only one gives, not only one blesses, but they all do and you're home. And so in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and get the party started, even here. Amen.